Merry Christmas, happy holidays. This is Manny Navarro, beat writer for the Miami Hurricanes and the host of the Wide Right Podcast. We are recording this right now at 10.30 at night, Wednesday, December 23rd. I had to take a couple of days off because uh, I lost a member of the family. My uh, my longtime do- uh, dog, Dexter, who I got uh, when he was only a few months old, died at age 13 over the weekend. So we took it pretty hard here in the Navarro household, and I needed a couple of days to kind of... Uh, recover i kind of missed the, the the bowl announcement on sunday was just wasn't into it because i was at the vet we had to put him down sadly um and and i took a day off on monday so i'm kind of playing catch up here at the last minute before christmas getting some work done i put out a the first of my three-part series a report card on the hurricanes offense on on uh, tuesday morning and there'll be more of it here in the days ahead leading up to the bowl game but i'm very happy because i got my one of my best friends on uh, the co-host with me again, uh, my uh, my mentor from the Miami Herald, who, who helped me become a writer, uh, an editor uh, for me in the high school beat when I started the Herald many years ago. And of course, you know him already because he's, he's co-hosted with me a few times now. Walter Villa uh, uh, writes for everybody in the country, man. I have Baseball America, the Miami Herald, ESPN. He, his byline is everywhere. And uh, he, he's every night, man, he's sitting there in front of the computer doing Zooms, doing whatever it takes to uh, write and report. He's even writing a book for a priest. I mean, this guy is just, he's everywhere. And uh, Walter, thanks for coming back on me, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Also, the uh, the radio show that uh, I co-host with. Oh, yes. From page 305, <laughs> we got to mention that. And uh, before we get to Kane's things, I had three quick things I, I jotted down here I wanted to tell uh, you and the, and the listeners. First of all, I already told you this off the air, Manny. People have to watch Your Honor. What a great show with, yep. the, with the dude from Breaking Bad. Brian Cranston, yep. Brian Cranston, great show. That's my first note. Second note, it was uh, FAU was playing on TV tonight. Michael Irvin, uh, the second, had one catch. I mean, that poor guy. I mean, he's like a 12-year senior. I mean, shouldn't he just change his name by now? I mean, I feel <laughs> bad for him. Can't even eat over there at FAU. And the third thing, they're playing Memphis. And what do you think, Navarro? Brady White, candidate for uh, the next Derek King, come over to Miami if Derek uh, indeed leaves. And he's, uh, I think he's about 24 years old already. But uh, if he wanted to play another year, I guess he could. Yeah, the transfer market certainly was uh, was good to Manny Diaz these first two years. And, you know, it's funny. We have so much to talk about since the last show that I did, uh, Walter, which was right after the – the butt whooping that North Carolina put on Miami. Uh, I didn't even talk about national signing day and what happened last Wednesday when they got uh, Jake Garcia, um, you know, added to that class, which is right there ranked around 10th or 11th in the country by two, four, seven sports. A great, a great class from, for Manny Diaz and company certainly helped by the COVID-19 pandemic. I think uh, especially the fact that kids weren't able to, to visit other college campuses, but, Look, he's put two good recruiting classes back to back now, and it really is going to be about these two recruiting classes in the years ahead. You know, what can Manny Diaz accomplish with this group, with those quarterbacks? He kind of had fillers with the transfers the last couple of years. And, you know, Jalen Phillips, of course, announcing he's going to leave early to go pro at Mel Mel Kuyper from ESPN, of course, I think rated him the number one 
defensive end of the country. So it was a no-brainer at that point when Mel Kuyper's telling you to go. Um, they're also going to lose Quincy Roche. Uh, you know, so their two best pass rushers will be gone. That's kind of what's leading into this bowl game. Um, so there's a lot to talk about, and we're going to hit on a lot of different things. But um, I guess let's start with this, Walter. Let's start with the All-ACC team, if we could, because that came out on Monday as well. And I don't know if you're prepared for it or not, or if you got a chance to even look at that. But postseason honors. I know Miami fans get upset over that because they feel like the Hurricanes get slighted. Um, the only guy who made it, of course, to the All-ACC first team for Miami, you know who it is? The kicker, Jose, right? Jose Borregales, who they got from FIU through the transfer portal. Nobody else, not even Jalen Phillips, even though he finished second in the uh, defensive player of the year vote in the conference. He didn't even make first team uh, eight and a half sacks. I thought Jaylen, I voted for Jalen Phillips for defensive player of the year, by the way, in the conference. Wow. I thought I thought he had a phenomenal six to seven game stretch where he was playing at a really high elite level. But, hey, listen, uh, only one hurricane ended up making it. And I know there's some Miami fans who are pissed about that on Twitter. And here I did a little bit of research as I've been doing my report card. You know, the manning of our research, Walt V. Um, first of all, uh, when Miami was six and seven last year, they had three guys make first team. Brevin Jordan, Gregory Rousseau. Shaq Cordham and this year just won even though they're eight and two so maybe that just tells you what people honestly thought of some of the players that Miami had this year and their and their performances in, in going eight and two um, wait a second not necessarily Manny because sometimes you have a real good player and there's just great players at his position mm -hmm. you, you got to take that into it I know the Weaver kid at Pitt for example is a defensive end and before you I want to hear the rest of your research but you know last time I was on your show we were talking about another snub for Miami, supposed snub, was, oh, my God, they're not going to be in the ACC title game. Remember that? Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm fine with it. What's the, you know, as long as they take care of business, finish by beating North Carolina, Georgia Tech. And, of course, they didn't do that. So all, the, all that other stuff to me, I mean, yeah, it's interesting to talk about. And I guess fans get themselves worked up about it. But, you know, who cares really in the end and, and result? And here's another thing about Jalen Phillips. And I and I said all year, which is a kind of an interesting argument. I said from a snap judgment in the beginning, I thought he was a better overall player than, than Quincy Roche because of how Jalen, you know, defends against the run where I thought Quincy's a little bit more one-sided to his game and he just wants to go get the quarterback. Um, you know, when you get embarrassed, as you mentioned up top to North Carolina the way they did, uh, I just don't think they have any any place to talk. And and that wasn't all on Jalen Phillips, of course. But part of it was mm -hmm. he didn't contain the edge. Neither did, Ro did, neither did Roche. They're supposed to force that run in the middle and the linebackers fill those holes and contain the run. I mean, they were terrible. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, look, I don't know what everybody else in the league did. I haven't done a study of that. Um, but when you get beat like that – you know, do they really have any, any ground to talk? Right. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I think it's certainly tough for them to, to talk when, when you get beat like that, but you did have a good season. You're eight and two, you're ranked, what is it? 18th or 19th now in the, in the, whatever the college football final rankings were for the regular season, they're going into this bowl game with an opportunity to win their, it's amazing. They're one and nine in their last 10 bowl games, Walter. That's how bad it's yeah. been, but they have yeah. a chance to get to nine wins and finish with only two losses. And they only had one player, Borregales, not even the punter. I, all I was going to say was the two biggest snubs, in my opinion, were Phillips and um, Lou Headley. Both of those guys I voted first team. Um, 
along with Borregales. I thought they should have had the, the, the two special teams guys and then, of course, Phillips, who I thought had performed the best. Um, you know, we can get into all that individually when we talk about position by position or whatever and, and, and kind of a look look at look back on the season. But to me, that's the point I was trying to make. The other thing I was going to throw at you was when Miami made the ACC championship game in 2017, they only had one player make the All-ACC first team. That was Michael Badgley, the kicker. So, again, Miami fans who were constantly saying, yeah, they don't, you know, we're getting screwed by the vote. We have some guys that deserve, even when Miami was at its best that year where they went 10 and one in the regular season and lost in the ACC championship game. Um, they only had one kid on there. So to me, if you're listening to this and you're saying, well, why didn't we get more guys? I think, like you said, to your point, the last thing that everybody saw that all those voters saw before they filled out their ballots was the whooping that North Carolina put on Miami. And I think it certainly did affect, uh, you know, some of the individual recognition. The flip side of all that too, Walter, is, you know, as I went back and I researched all this, you just look at the last five, six, seven, eight years of this program and you say, well, where's the talent, right? We've talked about how there's hardly any first rounders on this team. There's hardly any, you know, first or second round picks. When you go down the all ACC first team for the last seven, eight years, these are the guys who made it. Denzel Perryman, Duke Johnson. Pat O'Donnell, Michael Badgley, Shaq Quarterman, Brevin Jordan, Greg Rousseau, and Borregales. That's it. Those are the guys. Those are your best players in the eyes of, of the people who watch these dudes or are supposed to be impartial and, and, and vote. Those are the only guys they, they consider first team material. So you talk about why Miami doesn't reach that next level. Well, they haven't really had many special players. Yeah, but it's also a little bit of luck. Like I said, the position, like De'Ara King had a really good year, but he's got Trevor Lawrence, and I haven't even looked at that ACC team in depth, but I'm assuming Trevor Lawrence is one and the kid from Notre Dame is two, correct? Uh, it, the, the team was Trevor Lawrence, uh, the quarterback from North Carolina, and then um, third team was Ian Book, the quarterback from Notre Dame. You know, you, how can you argue with that? I mean, those, those are really good quarterbacks. Right. Um, well, I, I, look, I, I did some research position by position in, in my report card. And I'll say this about the Eric King. Um, he had the third highest passer rating in the conference. OK, the only guys ahead of him were Sam Howell and Trevor Lawrence. OK, uh, Ian Book, basically, I think he finished fifth in, in terms of the QB rating in the conference. Anyway, the Eric King season individually. Okay, I went back and I looked at every single season QB ratings in Miami history, all the way back to 1956. Okay, single season wise, Derek King had the third best quarterback rating in Miami history. Only Ken Dorsey in 2000 and Vinny Testaverde's Heisman year in 86 had better numbers. Derek King completion percentage 63.6 percent. 2,573 yards, 22 touchdowns, only five interceptions, a QB rating of 151.81. Dorsey in 2000, 58% completion percentage, 58.4. 2,737 yards, 25 touchdowns, five interceptions. And Testaverde in 86, 63.4 completion percentage, 2,557 yards, 26 touchdowns, nine picks. So more picks than, than D'Eric. Um, in the end, he ended up winning the Heisman and, and it's considered one of the best seasons ever by a, by a college quarterback. But to me, I, I did the research in part because I wanted to kind of compartmentalize in my brain, Walter, the question that everybody's asking themselves right at this season is how much credit does Derek King deserve? And I think a lot of people just based on the eye test 
look at what the Hurricanes did this season, they say, without a doubt, if they don't have Derrick King at quarterback, they might be 500. They might be less than 500. What's your opinion on that as a guy who, you know, bleeds orange and green, has watched this football program for, for four or five decades? What do you what do you make of the contributions Derrick made and the effect that it had on their success this season? Oh, yeah, he's, he's been terrific. But like I said, when I to me, the Notre Dame kid was outstanding. Ian Book was mm-hmm. outstanding. And, and, and of course, the North Carolina quarterback is good. Trevor Lawrence. So as good as Derek King is, I don't know that he has reason to, to say, you know, that he should be ahead of those guys. I think I think they're all pretty good quarterbacks. Well, on this I'm level. not even talking from the all ACC perspective. I'm talking about just. Well, well, that's what you brought up at the beginning, and then you're right, right. Out to Ken Dorsey and those guys. That's a different. Those are two different arguments, right? Right, right, right. So, which one are you talking about? Comparing the all, comparing to past UM guys? Yeah, like like I said, the question I think a lot of fans have on their minds is, or not maybe a question, but I think a lot of them feel as though if De'Aaron King wasn't here, Miami would have not been eight and two. They might have been five and five, four and six. I guess when you look at it, how much credit do you think De'Aaron De- King deserves for what Miami accomplished this season? No, a lot, but but you also don't know what, if he's not here, we have to guess what Rhett Lashley would have done. Who would he have played? Would he have played Nicosi? Would he have played Van Dyke? Who knows? I, it's hard to say when you say what would have happened if he's not there. Well, who's the, you know, who's the replacement? And, and Nicosi, who does have tools, I'm probably – defend him more than most, um, you know, didn't get to, didn't get to play in this system. Um, but no, you know, he's the MVP of, of the team without question. And one of the most valuable players in the ACC is just that he's at a position where it was, you know, and I haven't even gone over the list of the other guys in the ACC, but I think you'll, you'll agree. That was a lock. That was a loaded position in the league this year, right? Mm-hmm. ACC. And so that, and, and when you're talking about Lou Headley should have been the punter, was it, was his, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the punter who, who got it, who got first team had some numbers, had some good punting average. It must've been something. I think Lou Hadley was number two in the country in net punting. Mm. So, I mean, it, it's kind of one of those deals where uh, it was pretty, to me, it was pretty clut, uh, cut and dry that he was the best, you know, punter, certainly in the conference and probably worthy of, of being up there for, for, uh, you know, punter of the year, you know, or, or best kick. I mean, Georgia Tech's kid was was number one, but I thought Headley, I mean, how many times did he pin teams in in areas where it was it was meaningful? Georgia Tech was terrible. To me, they, Lou Headley did some great jobs pinning teams, teams deep, you know, helping Miami win games. Well, I, I'm going to disagree with you again tonight. I mean, just because Georgia Tech was terrible doesn't mean by that logic – that the Georgia Tech punter couldn't be first team all conference if he had a great year, and it sounds like he did. Um, so, are you saying there's some kind of bias? Are you uh, are you like the uh, <laughs> there's a there's well, no, a- I I think you're trying to make a determination on everything that I'm saying. I'm not saying necessarily that there's quote unquote some sort of bias against Miami. I just think I think most people look at this program and how long it's struggled. And I think it does affect some of the voting. And I think unless guys really show out like Gregory Rousseau last year, you couldn't deny him first team because he had 15 and a half sacks. He was number two in the country in sacks. Um, uh, Who else? Uh, Gerald Willis, the year that they, you know, he was, he was phenomenal in 2018. He got second team. He didn't get first team. Um, 
you know, I just think the mediocrity pours into how these guys get judged from an I individual mean, here, talent perspective. Here's why I'll argue again with you on this. I, I, I like arguing with you, Navarro, is you and I back in the glory days of Miami Herald, we used to pick all county teams, correct? Right. Football, basketball, all these teams. We never looked at that. Right. So I'm assuming, you know, we never looked at, in fact, one year you're a Braddock high guy. Can I put that on blast that you're a proud uh, Braddock uh, <laughs> alum? And sure. they had a running back. What was that kid's name? Peter Madrano? Right. He was one of the leading rushers in the county, did it against nobody. Braddock, but Braddock, Braddock stunk. They weren't right. any good. I think they're right. probably even with Peter Madrano, they were four and six, maybe. I don't know what they were that year, right. but it, it basically was a, a team without a lot of football tradition. That's being fair. Mm -hmm. And we put him on first team. His numbers deserved it. So we didn't look at – I just think that the work that we did to put and, – and you were always saying, a big, let's put the best guys on there, as it should be. And, and so we had more integrity than the all-ACC team. They're looking – they're penalizing Miami. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. All right. Well, I mean, listen, that's your opinion. That's uh... – that's how you feel about it. When you look back at the season, Walt, um, from a fan perspective, what what did you like about what they did? What did you not like? And maybe we can we can get into arguments that way. Well, uh, I mean, the, the Clemson game, they never had a chance. Um, I think they won all the games they were supposed to win. Um, but then as the season wore on, you know, they were, they were life and death to beat some of these teams. And that kind of made you a little bit wary of the North Carolina game. Cause we knew um, the offense that North Carolina brought and the way they were struggling, right. North Carolina state, that's probably more of a struggle than it should have been. Um, some other games that we, you know, Pittsburgh, they were all kind of struggling, correct. They, they, after Florida state, I think they, they blew up, they blew them out. But after that, didn't they struggle? You know, just some yeah, I mean, they struggled to beat Pittsburgh. They struggled to beat Virginia. They struggled to beat Virginia Tech. They struggled to beat NC State. Yeah, I mean, every game was a tussle. They're they're not at an elite level, right? I mean, they're, they're not. not I, I think Florida State had a terrible night against them, and that's why it was as lopsided as it was. Um, and then I think the same thing with Duke. I think it just they beat the crap out of two really bad teams. Um, so, you know, they won the games they were supposed to win, which is, you know, that's the first step that you have to do. That's something that didn't happen the year before. I mean, I was looking at that bowl history, too, man. You spoke, I think they've lost nine out of ten. I, I would say the here's one unequivocal statement. I think the bowl loss last year to Louisiana Tech, 14 nothing, was the most embarrassing bowl loss in Hurricanes history. Mm -hmm. Okay. They've yeah. only been shut out three times. Once, I think it was in 1935. The other one's by Arizona. At least it was a power five team. And then they got shut out by a mid-major last year. So last year, you got the most embarrassing bowl loss in, in, in program history and the most embarrassing loss period, which was the FIU in program history. You can make the argument. Um, so, you, so you fast forward to this year. They won every game they were supposed to win with the possible exception of North Carolina, which we, you know, that was an offense to be feared and they didn't show up. You would like to have been nine and one. So, you know, I don't know how much to penalize them over that. It's just, it's just bad the way they lost that. You, you kind of wonder Manny, the offense, Manny Diaz gets a lot of credit for the fixes he made, right? He, he knew, he knew quarterback was a problem, brought in a quarterback, a good one. He, offensive coordinator was a problem, fired, Enos brought in Rhett Lashley, you know, 
new offensive line. We know we know the story. They all the fixes they've been. Are they going to do the same thing now with defense? Are they going to bring an experienced defensive coordinator? Are they going to reassign Blake Baker to maybe you know linebackers coach? Um, I've been hearing rumors about Michael Rumpf because he doesn't recruit the, you know, doesn't get the star corners. What's, you know, what adjustments, I guess I would ask you, since you're the expert, do you think they're going to make on the defensive side of the ball? Because uh, unless they, they play a great game against Oklahoma state, I mean, right now, you know, what they put on film, the last game, it was embarrassing. Yeah. I- I don't know what they're going to do with defensive coordinator. I don't know if Manny's going to end up asking Blake Baker to leave. I know that there's been clashes internally with Rumpf in the past when it comes to recruiting guys. Okay. Uh, He's not a guy who enjoys recruiting. That's no secret. Um, You know, a lot of people have talked about that. And I think Mike's the kind of guy having been a former first round pick played in the NFL his feeling is like, if you don't want to come to the Miami, I don't want to, you know, kiss your ass and beg you to come here because you're a punk ass kid. That's the way he kind of views it. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a proven guy. I, I make my guys better come play for me. And if that's not good enough, I'll move on to the next guy. And, and that's just, you know, I think that's his mentality when it comes to a lot of these kids. Um, Except there isn't a next guy. I mean, he got one corner in the whole class and you can make the argument by at least by statistics that Malik Curtis kid, is way better at wide receiver than corner mm-hmm. and they're making him in the corner because they have nobody. And, you know, when they put that on film, how does a kid Marshall from Palmetto with all his buddies coming to Miami? Um, how does he not say like, man, I was hoping they could flip that kid because he has a great opportunity yeah. here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so much of this is still predicated Walter on the fact that they've sucked for 17, 18 years. How many of these kids have grown up, I mean, we're kind of intertwining all these conversations. So I apologize to the listeners because it feels like we're jumping from one thing to another constantly here. But we're going to get into recruiting for a minute. We'll get into recruiting for a minute. <laughs> um, here's what I'll say. I went. I drove down to Palmetto. I put my mask on. I was scared shitless. I didn't want to be around 300 people at, <laughs> on a siding day event. But I went. I went and I, and I was there for Leonard Taylor and um, the, re, the receiver recruit, uh, Smith, that they got out of Palmetto. And I Richard talked to Smith. Leonard Taylor for a while. I, uh, Brashard Smith. I talked to, you know, I said hi to um, the other kids that were there signing the two, including the two that were going to Florida, Marshall and, and, and Collier. And here's what I, this is the way I read it. This is my experience of doing this for 15, 20 years now. Okay. The kids in this city, unless they really, really, really want to play for the university of Miami, like their parents want them to stay home and, you know, it's one of those sort of marriages where it's like, yeah, uh, stay home and be, a, you know, play, play close to me. Cause I don't want you to go away. I think a lot of these kids like Jason Marshall, like Collier, like so many others that have left, just look at Miami and say, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to go there. I don't want to be a part of the losing. I want to go play in the college football playoff. I don't want to be a part of the struggle. And so, in, in Miami's case, they were able to get, you know, a couple of five-star kids in James Williams and Leonard Taylor who wanted to be home. They wanted to be here. And it certainly helped Miami that there were no, um, no reasons for them to leave. They didn't go and visit any of their college programs. They didn't 
you know, they weren't able to really be wooed by other teams. So that's why I think Miami ended up getting Leonard Taylor and James Williams and why they end up getting the majority. Duke Johnson, Tracy Howard, all those kids that they've gotten that were five-star recruits. Those guys wanted to stay home, Walter. That's, that's, that's why they've been able to get the few stars that they have, but the rest of the kids, Look at the college football playoff, and they say, "When was the last time Miami played for something meaningful?" I got to put on a tape. I got to watch thirty for thirty. I got to see something that was created on ESPN to remind me of when Miami was great again. So that's the uphill battle that Manny Diaz faces. That's the uphill battle that Mike Rum faces. They don't have the tradition and history that Howard Schnellenberger built. You know the continuity that was continued by Jimmy Johnson and and Dennis Erickson and. Butch Davis and everybody else who eventually took over the program, they had like recent winning behind them. Manny yeah, Diaz is stepping into this, and there is no recent winning. No, Howard did not. Howard Snellenberger had no I'm saying winning. Howard built it. Like Howard built it in the 80s. Right. But it's hard right. to get that restarted where all of a sudden all these kids are like, no, nah, I want to play at home. I, I just but think Howard, wait a second, but Howard Snellenberger did it with no really good history at the University of Miami, had never won anything before. And Manny Diaz takes over a program that that logo is known throughout the country. All he has is the logo. What else does he have? And prop, no, he has a couple, he has quite a few things. And and it's, and it's known probably internationally and it's known on hip hop. And and he has that. The other thing, what he said is the reason you're right. Duke Johnson was going to come here no matter who was the coach. That's a huge advantage. That's what I said way back when, because I'm a thousand years old. Before they won a national title, I said this was the sleeping giant. And it still is because nobody else in the country has quite that advantage that Miami does. That kids who, who they're, they're great kids here. And if they want to stay home, boom, Miami's right there. Nobody, you know, like when Duke is good in, in, in uh, college basketball, which is almost every year, they have to go get each, almost each and every player, probably 90 something percent. There's not great players well, like that lying around North Carolina. Well, but Miami here's the problem. Right Here, here's the issue, Walter. Yes, they've been able to get a few great players to stay home. But they've also tried to pass it off and say, well, we got great players here who, who do come here all the time that stay home. Well, guess what? Those aren't the best players. Those best players have gone to Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia and gone on to be number one picks for somebody else. Right? I mean, Amari Cooper, right? Patrick Pertain now. Right. I mean, how many of those elite guys leave? Because, look, I, I was into the other ACC podcast um, that, that's here on the Athletic Network. And, you know, they were talking about is the college football playoff system bad for college football right now? Because it's the same four teams, right? Every single year you can right. rotate. I mean, it's the same three teams. It's Ohio State, it's Clemson and it's Alabama. And right. then you rotate that four team, whether it's LSU, Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, it's basically Georgia. It's the same teams every single year. Right. And I think it does hurt. I think it does hurt the other schools because the kids ultimately know if I want to play in any meaningful games, I got to go to those schools because I'm not going to do it at Miami. I'm not going to do it at South Carolina. I'm not going to do it at Arkansas. I'm not going to do it at even Michigan. Right. Like when was the last time? <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of like and, and I think um, one of my colleagues tweeted this out. 48 out of the 100 top 100 recruits are all going to Alabama, Ohio State, um, or Clemson. Like 48 out of the top 100. Wow. So I think they're I think they're going to uh, expand to eight eventually. Remember, there was no 
football player for a million years, and then they had two, and now they have four. I think you'll go to eight, and you have the Power Five conference winner and three, three uh, independent or three, uh, <clears throat> what do you call it, at-large teams or however they want to do it. But I think eight might lend you to, you know, you'll see a, a Coastal Carolina and see maybe they get blown out. Maybe they come up with an upset. I don't know. But I, I don't know. What do you think? Eventually – how much do you think it's hurt? I mean, I think it eventually will expand because money, money talks, but right. I, I just think it's, it's really hurt college football in the sense that look at how many kids now opt out Walter. Oh, I'm going to get ready for the draft. That didn't happen when, when right. Michael Irvin and, and, you know, these other guys were playing for Miami. I don't remember that happening at Florida or Florida state when they weren't playing in the championship. Right. right? I mean, they still played in their bowl game. Yeah, it's new and it's 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 disappointing, man. It's like you you finish out the year with your team. I don't begrudge guys going to the pros if they're given a high grade, you know, in terms of first, second round, whatever. I just think it's because the games are all meaningless. Everybody knows that these games mean absolutely nothing, and 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 so how do you put meaning back into it? I don't know. I think you you expand the college football playoff, and and you incentivize. Maybe you pay the kids for playing in the bowl game. I don't know. I, like you, you, you have to do something if you're college football to make the entire season meaningful because we're going to talk about this cheese it bowl between Miami and, and, and Oklahoma State here in a second. But, you know, I, I, most Miami fans, I mean, how excited are you to watch this bowl game knowing there's no Jalen Phillips? There's no, uh, I mean, there's guys out for Ohio State as well. I mean, Ohio State for Oklahoma State as well. Uh, their yeah. best offensive tackle, their best cornerback, their their running back, their right. star running back, Chubba Howard. I mean, all of these guys are out of this game because it's meaningless. And I guess as a viewer and as a fan, how much does that affect how much you care about that game? By the way, Navarro, since you always say I'm a, a name murderer, I was told, and you'll have to check this, I was told it's pronounced Chuba. Chuba, Chuba. Howard, Chuba, Chuba. I don't, I mean, it doesn't matter. So. <laughs> Uh, to answer your question, how excited am I for the game? Super excited because you only get, you know, in a normal year, what, 12, 13 football games. This will be the 11th Hurricanes football game. So I, I, I get up for every game, and I'm assuming they are. And, yes, is it a shame that those guys opt out, don't finish the year with their, with their boys, with their teammates? Yes. But it's also an opportunity. You know, college football is bigger than any one player. And so now you see um, the kid, Harvey. Uh, the kid, Cam Williams, the two defensive ends will get to start now. Uh, let's see what they do. It's an opportunity for those kids. They're, those kids are going to be fired up, I would, I would imagine. It's a, big, it's a big opportunity for them, is it not? It, it is, but I think back to last year's bowl experience. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm burned by the fact that I had to go watch that horrendously shit game between Miami and Louisiana Tech. But yeah. I, I don't know. I just I feel like. I feel like most people don't care about bowl games anymore, players included. I think it's just like a glorified scrimmage for next season. And to me, De'Aaron King's going to play in it. Brevin Jordan's going to play in it for, for the Hurricanes. So you have the offensive guys who give a damn. But on the defensive side, your two best players, the two guys who are hands down your two best defensive players in Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips, right. they're not in it. So And they're coming off a 62-point right. game against North Carolina, I guess you can say it's a preview of next season, but it's just, it's just an awkward, it's an awkward balance. Like to me, I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather this either, either you go all in, in the sense of it's a complete game for next season. You start Tyler Van Dyke, you play all the freshmen, right? You give us the preview, like a futures game, like an NBA all-star futures game, or you play it the way it's supposed to be played. Not kind of the halfway, you know, thing. 
You play to win the game. Isn't that what Herman Edwards said? I mean, they're going to go with the Eric King, the guys that, that want to win. But it is an opportunity for these defensive ends to show what they have. I mean, uh, I guess talk a little bit about that bowl game. I did a little research on that. I mean, the Chuba Hubbard kid, he's, he had a great year last year, but he was banged up this year. He missed, I think, the last three games. And the last three games that he missed, they had a 100-yard rushing performance in every one of those games by two different running backs. They had three running backs all total had 100-yard games not named Chuba Hubbard. So, yes. so you know, and, and also, by the way, I am a fan of uh, your work in The Athletic and this podcast, even when I'm not on it. I heard uh, the former Hurricane, uh, Kelvin Harris, who is a, is a great guy. I respect what he has to say. But I'm going to take at – at risk that he may try to find me and beat me up. I'm going to I'm going to disagree with something he said on there tomorrow. He right. said that he said that the coaches there was nothing they could do on a, from a defensive coaching perspective to stop to stop that onslaught on the ground by North Carolina. I, I don't agree with that. You could no, have done I, 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 I yeah. I I I don't know why he said that. I don't know why he I guess his feeling is there's nothing the coaches could do at that point. Um Look. There may not have been anything they could have done to win the game, but to stop them on the ground, yes. They could have put more people in the box. They could have um, they could have run blitz. Now, the kid would have probably – the quarterback, uh, tell me, remind me his name in North Carolina. That's how bad my Sam memory Howell, is. Yeah. Sam Howell, uh, yeah. Sam would have probably beaten him over the top because he he did burn him on, a, on, on some deep passes in that game. And I, So I think Miami would have lost anyway. But to say that we had to take that on the ground for what was the damage, 558 or something? It was ridiculous. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. But anyway, the point being, I am excited. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, but I'm excited about the bowl game because this is an opportunity. Manny Diaz certainly does not want that to be the last game. He's a defensive-minded coach. Uh, Blake Baker does not want that to be the last game on film. Those defensive ends have an opportunity. Uh, Nesta Silva, uh, you know, Nesta Silvera. Now he's the he's the, uh, the 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 lead dog on that D line. Um. You know, those safeties are pretty good. You, you, to Corey Couch, is going to get a starring role now, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm excited to see that. And then offensively, I mean, Miami, that hasn't really been a, too much of a problem. They should do some work against that team. Well, we'll see. I mean, their defensive front is is okay. Like I said, Rodarius Williams, who's the brother of Greedy Williams, who's in the NFL, the former LSU kid, he was their star cornerback. He was a beast, put up ridiculous effing numbers. He's not playing in the game. So their best cornerback is out. That's great news for Miami because they've only got one receiver anyway, and Mike Harley. So and, and Brevin Jordan at tight end. So um, this will be the best tight end that they will face, Brevin Jordan. There, there's not a lot of great tight ends in the Big 12. And then as far as Miami's running game is concerned, um, you know, Cam Harris, if he wants to go pro, which apparently he's thinking about because uh, he's not going to announce it until after <laughs> – after the bowl game, I, I can't believe it, but he, he's actually considering consider what a bad season he had. I thought uh, he, he wants to go pro. Um, I think if he has a good game, he might he might leave. And there's only two guys to hand the ball off to anyway. Uh, Don Chaney Jr. and him. And um, I guess Robert Burns is still available. You could always give him a few carries. But um, I don't know. I, I guess there's reasons to play the game. Certainly. I'm just saying from a purely fanatical standpoint. OK, 
I, my preference, if you were to ask me, what do I, what would I want to watch? I don't want to watch a game with only half of the players in it. I, if that's the case, give me the futures game, play nothing but freshmen and sophomores, and give me a preview for next season. That's what that's where I stand with that as far as the bowl game. And by the way, one stat that was kind of scary as a Miami fan to read about Oklahoma State—they're one of the best teams in the country. I'm sure you have all the stats at getting off the feet, you know, getting off the field on third down. So that's going to be a really good test for Derek to convert those those uh, those third downs against that defense. So I'm going to look for that as well. Um, well, you know, Derek, so- Derek was uh, really, really good on third down this year. And I, I wrote about it in my story. I, I, can, I guess I can regurgitate some of the numbers, but uh, fifth among uh, quarterbacks in rushing, 520 yards, four touchdowns. Also had the second best QB rating in the conference on third down, completing 67% of his passes for six touchdowns and only one pick. Uh, only Louisville's Malik Cunningham was better on third down. And then in the red zone, uh, eight touchdowns, no interceptions. So and Trevor Lawrence was 10 touchdowns, one pick. Uh, I think Bailey Hockman from NC State was seven touchdowns, no picks. They were the only two guys that had better quarterback ratings in the red zone. So he – look – Miami, without a doubt, lives and dies with De'Aaron King and what he can do. Um, I spent a lot of time today researching the offensive line and the and the and that their play and how it compares to last year and years past. Really, the only two areas they made improvements was short yardage situations. They 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 converted more of those, and giving up fewer sacks on pass on, on non-pass rushing down they still were giving up sacks when when they were in third and long third and seven third whatever it is they were still giving up a lot of sacks this season so they've slightly improved in pass protection and slightly improved um in terms of short yardage but overall the running game was not impressive to me this season i didn't i was not overwhelmed I, there were a couple of big long runs that cam harris had but uh the two freshmen jalen knight and don cheney jr and i put this in my story they didn't have tremendously explosive freshman years. Were you disappointed at all in the, in the way that Cheney Jr. And, and Knighton played, or was it par for the course for what you expected? Not at all. I was not disappointed in them at all. Look, a lot of times uh, the running game is a function of the offensive line. It wasn't like those guys weren't running hard. They were r- running very hard. I was mm-hmm. impressed with both Cheney and Knighton. They were running people over, good speed. I thought Cheney was with thought, to be honest. I'd heard that he wasn't – you know, from one uh, source in the high school that he there, there's no dog in him. There, you know, he's not tough. I mean, I saw him run people over. I just think it's a function. A lot of the function is the offensive line. Was it better than it was the year before? Yes. But was it a great offensive line? No. I think the runner, you know, running backs are good. I think Cam Harris, I disagree with you. The characterization, he did not have a great year. You can't look by numbers. Uh, you know, well, the running back here, a lot is a function of the offensive line. Here's some numbers I'll throw at you from Cam Harris, okay? He had 345 yards and five touchdowns in Miami's first three games, okay? Then he had a nine-yard game against Clemson, an eight-yard game against Virginia, and 23 yards against North Carolina. Like, to me, that's very telling. That's inconsistent. That's not superstar, go-to-the-NFL type performance. The holes aren't there, dude. The holes are – you know, I just don't – I don't think that's on him. I think it's an old line, dude. They they were – outmanned by Clemson I mean I don't know I, I to answer your question I was not disappointed by the way Navarro can I about recruiting since fans love recruiting can I throw some questions at you about I'm going to ask you about the guys that Canes didn't get get you to comment on those guys ready All right, go ahead Amari Daniels uh the running back from Miami Central ended up at Texas A&M 
Cam Harris does leave. I know they got the kid Franklin. Were you disappointed they didn't get him? No, because I think it's one of those deals now in college football where you only get one running back and or, or, or two tops, and that's only when you have two or three seniors at those guys. I mean, they look at the depth charts. That Franklin was looking around not to come to Miami because he knows that Don Chaney Jr. and Jalen Knight are there, and they're only a year older than him. So I think that, you know, you were only going to get one running back, and Amari Daniels was only going to come if that Franklin didn't. Marcus Tate from Fort Lauderdale went to Clemson. Um, they did get three pretty good ones. What do you what do you think about, you know, could they have done better? No, I mean, I think they got the three best offensive linemen that they could in South Florida that, that cared to come here. I mean, McLaugh, McLaughlin is, is sort of a project. He's another guy who has a lot of upside and ability, but he's two years away from playing. I think Ryan Rodriguez um, is the kind of guy who can be a starter in year two. Uh, is he's got the body already. Um, and the work ethic, I think he's a good leader. I think he's the kind of guy who'll be like a three-year starter at center. So once Corey, Corey Gaynor's gone, he'll replace him. Um, and then um, the other kid, Seymour. Uh, Seymour. Yeah, to me, he's he's the best, one of the best offensive linemen that they've signed probably since Navon Donaldson in terms of uh, just pure talent and ability. He just doesn't have the big body, six one and a half, two ninety three. I think watching that kid play, seeing him in these camps – um, where you go against elite competition, even though it's shorts and, and you know, T-shirts, the kid's footwork is amazing. And to me, he is the ideal pulling guard that you need in this offense in terms of being able to open up holes. Like, to me, DJ Scaife, um, and, and you look at Ja'Kai Clark, like, this kid is better than both of them. Navarro, on the, on the defensive line, Miami at one point had, well, our boy Andrew Ivan said Tyreek Sapp was a lock on 24-7 sports, 100% lock to sign with Miami. Of course, he signed with Florida. I wonder, wonder what you thought about that. And then the other one was Savion Collins, another Miami Palmetto kid. You were down there. Was he there? Uh, he decommitted from Miami and didn't sign with anybody. Can you clear up um, your thoughts on those two kids? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Savion Collins is just one of those kids that I think committed to Miami early. They had high expectations for him. They were hoping he would be a guy who really improved. And instead what ended up happening was I think playing next to Leonard Taylor was almost bad for him because the coaches saw just how much better Leonard Taylor was than him. And, and one overriding thing I was told from Miami's recruiting department over and over again is we're not just going to take guys to take guys. We want guys that are difference makers. We want guys that can beat Clemson. And so I think they looked at Savion Collins and they said, you know what, that's a scholarship we can use somewhere else. And so they dropped him. Uh, I know it was announced that uh, he decommitted, but the true, true story is Miami coaches essentially said, Savion, go look for another school. We don't want you anymore. And that's just part of the hard truth and the hard game of recruiting that, um, yeah. you know, you can be committed to a there for a lot of time, but it's just the way it is. Was he there at Palmetto? Yeah, the, the, either one can can dump the other, right? The player can dump the school, the school can dump the player. So I guess it's fair. Right. The, the, the backlash um, is always when the, when, the, when the college dumps the player, the problem becomes, well, can the college go back to that school again and mend the relationship? And so I think in Savion Collins' case, you know, it wasn't just Miami who was down on him. I think there were other colleges that saw his tape and saw his film and said, this guy might be better served to be an offensive lineman than he is a defensive tackle. Um, because of uh, of the way that he plays and how big he is. And so it, it was just one of those deals. And I think the kid, it, had Florida offered him a scholarship? He was wearing a Florida shirt, by the way, when I was down there. He had a big Florida T-shirt okay. on. Um, 
I, I think it was just one of those deals where the kid wanted to go to Florida. He never got that offer. And in the end, I mean, look, there's a lot of kids who didn't end up signing. And, and, and that's going to happen more and more in college football in the years ahead, because I think schools, you look at how busy the transfer portal is. You look at how, you know, more better experienced players are available on the market through the transfer portal. I think you're going to see schools start to drop recruits at the end. Kind of, kind of what happened to Savion Collins. Okay. Linebacker. Terrence Lewis, supposedly a five-star kid, Miami Northwestern. He has yet to sign. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boy, Miami showed they have a real need for a great linebacker after they got run on by UNC. And then Jaden Hood from Aquinas uh, signed with Michigan, whose program is in real dire straits. So, you know, can Miami still get Terrence Lewis? Is he worth it? And why couldn't they get a Jaden Hood? Is he worth it? Well, the Terrence Lewis thing is interesting because obviously he's a very highly touted kid but his recruitment there there were some off the field issues with him I'll leave it at that there were some off the field issues with him that I think hurt him in the eyes of some of the more elite programs and I think in Miami's case they were interested with him initially he wasn't interested in them because Miami was six and seven last year and I think he was looking to go to an SEC school some of those SEC schools know about his past and what happened to him off the field and they passed and they said, you know what, we don't want that headache. And he's basically was, he was going to go to Auburn. Then of course the the coaching change at Auburn happens where the head coach gets fired. And so now it comes down to, I think it's Maryland and Tennessee, right. Or his two finalists. So I know Miami was interested. It is something that they've kicked around um, or what they were kicking around. But I don't know at this point, you know, the kid may end up announcing, I think, January 2nd, his final college choice. I don't I don't know where Miami really is on this because I've gotten mixed signals. I've gotten, yeah, we're interested. And I've also gotten, no, he has history. So I don't know what's going to happen with Terrence Lewis. I know this. (laughs) There are other college teams that passed on him. And that always gives me pause, Walter, when if you're a five star kid, right, if everybody says you're a five star kid. And the best schools in the country are like, mm, I don't know. I, I guess it makes me apprehensive because if you're Miami, you don't want those other extracurricular issues that might come up. Because right now to this point, those guys are gone, right? Jeff Thomas is gone. The guys who are causing problems off the field. I think Manny Diaz has cleaned that part up of the program. He's got better kids. And I think that's their focus. But again, he is a talent. I guess it comes down to how bad does Miami want him? Interesting because, you know, when Florida Gators, I think that when they, when they were good in their, in their heyday, I don't know, whenever that was, um, I mean, they had like, what, 30 kids arrested. And when Miami was really great, they had a lot of kids arrested. So, and I don't know, um, you know, what you're liberty to say, how, if it's Willie Williams bad in terms of the, you know, off the field issues, or if it's, I guess that, that would be, you know, do they nah, feel like, do I'm they not, feel I'm like, not going to speculate. I'm not going to speculate on crime and stuff like that because I, I, I don't know that about him. I, I, I guess the way I was, I would characterize it simply put is there's a reason people t- took pause with him. Okay. Right. And I think it, his, his recruitment is interesting. It's just, it's interesting that you have a kid like that. That's a five-star and there's a lot of teams out there that could use linebacker help. And a lot of them all pause right. before saying, yes, we'll take you. Well, then they have to figure if it's manageable or not. I guess each, each school has. So what about Jaden Hood? 
Yeah, I, I think the majority of those St. Thomas kids were not coming to Miami. I just think there was nobody at St. Thomas that they necessarily had some sort of great bond or connection with among those players. Like when I when I met a lot of those St. Thomas kids last year at the Miami Dolphins media day before the pandemic and everything, um, my sense was all of them were going to Florida. Like they all wanted to go to Florida together. Florida was the hot team. And so I'm Is not my- surprised that none of them ended up at Miami. Does Miami not do a good enough job of recruiting Aquinas, that specific school? No, I think it just goes back to what I was ranting on earlier. I just think a lot of these kids have grown up not knowing Miami is a winner and they haven't come close, right? I mean, 10 and 0 to 10 and 3 to 7 and 6 and 6 and 7, it's just, it's hard to sell. It's hard to sell a belief into a program. And again, I think the majority of the guys that Miami got in this class were kids that wanted to be at Miami. Same thing with last year's class, the 2020 class. Kids who wanted to be at Miami. It's hard because the kids who want to be at Miami, a lot of them are not Leonard Taylor and James Williams, who are as can't-miss prospects as you can get. Those are the two can't-miss guys, in my opinion. Everybody else, they're okay. They might pan out. But they might not. They might be like Mike Harley. You might wait to the last six games of his senior season to finally start playing well, you know, or they might they might not ever produce the way that you want them to produce. All right, let's and let's wrap it up talking about the corners. Obviously, they got two great safeties. So I got a couple of questions on the on the cornerback situation. One is are there guys already on the roster that are safeties that can be switched to corner? Or do they not have the requisite speed? And a guy like Corey Collier, who was another one of the Palmetto Five, he's, he went to Florida. He's a safety, 6'2", got great height. Um, could he have been a corner? Um, so that, I guess that's the first part of the question of our Are there guys that they can, you know, that are safeties maybe and they can make into corners? Bubba Bolden's the only guy who had the hips and the movement to be able to move from safety to corner. I think the rest of those guys – it's a lot easier to move from corner to safety than safety to corner. Right. And I just think a lot of those guys don't have it. They don't have what you need at that position in terms of speed, in terms of ball recognition, knowing, you know, where to put your hands. Um, you know, they have the corners they have. I, I like Isaiah Dunson. I like to Corey couch. Um, I think the Marcus Clark kid could be good in a couple of years. The problem is always when you got to play freshman and redshirt freshman and true freshman and this freshman and that freshman, you're going to look like a freshman out there. Like to me, it's, it's DJ Ivy now blades. They're juniors. They're supposed to be two of the best corners in the country. They were four-star recruits coming out of high school. Did they play like four-star recruits coming out of high school? No. So it's that it's, it's making the jump from, Hey, he's super talented in high school too. Can they can they do it at this level? I, I think Al Blades actually moves to safety if he comes back. If Al Blades comes back, I think he's the kind of guy that you know you look at you look at the safety position of all three of those guys leave that, that played this year, Mari Carter, um, Bubba Bolden, and Gervin Hall. If all three of them go, which they could, who knows? Who knows what's gonna happen? Then you're gonna need an experienced safety. I could see Al Blades sliding back there because Avante Williams and James Williams, as good as they are in terms of being prospects. I mean, Avante, this was a wasted year for Avante Williams. He, he didn't practice. He didn't do anything, right? He was around, but they, he didn't. They also, he, have the, they also have the Harold kid, the Brian Balam kid. They um, like Balaam a lot. I know they like Balaam a lot. And that's another thing. We'll see if Ephraim Vanda ends up sticking around. He's the safeties coach right. and the co-defensive coordinator, and Utah State was supposedly interested in him, and he's a good recruiter. He signed two of the best safeties in the country each right. of the last two years. So 
I, you talk about changes, right? That's what we started with. Do I expect changes in the defensive uh, coaching building? Yeah, I think there's going to be a couple of guys that go. And, you know, there could be a, a change of coordinator. But I, I, I don't I don't think – I don't read the situation as Manny Diaz blaming Blake Baker for what's happening. He's defended Blake at every turn because he says it's the same yeah. defense that they all work on together. So I, I think the defensive problems are real simple. Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinckney aren't there. And when you have – the problems that you have at linebacker with that group, which is on Manny, by the way, and that, that was a big rant in my last podcast. You got to be able to recruit that position and be ready to replace those guys because that's what Alabama does and Ohio state does. And Clemson does. They have guys, guys leave to the NFL and guys go play and they've got somebody else waiting. And Manny Diaz dropped the ball. He had three, four good years out of those guys. And what ends up happening, Zach McLeod takes over and he's a complete disaster. He was terrible this year. I mean, how, how many times were you like, what, what is Zach McLeod doing? That's not what a fifth year senior should be doing. And then you have two guys coming back from injury, serious injuries that just don't have it. They don't have what it takes. So I, to me, that's where the biggest position where I thought, you know, you go to the transfer portal and you, and you find something. That's a great point that he had all that time to prepare for the next wave of linebackers. And he didn't, I mean, the, 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 the flag Kid looked good. I liked him, number 11. Yeah, I think uh, Flag I is the one I guy. He has a lot of potential. Huh? Yeah, and I think Sam Brooks Jr. has talent, but he's a guy who's learning how to play linebacker. And it's hard to ask a kid like him, you know, who, who played rush end in high school at Miami Northwestern. It's like it's like the it's like other guys that they've had. They take them and they want to turn them into something, but it's hard. It's hard to learn that linebacker position because you got to learn the run fits. You got to recognize which holes to hit when. And you got to be able to call the defense. Corey Flagg is the only natural linebacker um, that has natural instincts right. that they have. And then, you know, you, you haven't, you had a chance to recruit that position well, and they didn't do it. I like him. I've seen Flagg make plays on, on both sidelines, like on the right sideline, all the way to the left side on successive plays. I was impressed by him. Well, and, and that's why the Terrence Lewis kid is interesting, and it goes back to how manageable is it if, you know, we, we I think you and I agree on that after several disagreements tonight, that <laughs> linebacker is a big problem, and here's a guy sitting there in their own backyard, and you don't want to, if, if the guy is really a bad dude, and you don't want to sort of infect the, uh, the locker room with, with uh, somebody be a team player, but you do have a need, and these are the tough decisions. And also, you, uh, we talked off the air, they have three scholarships available for the next signing period in February, I guess, first Wednesday in February. Um, what do you think they're going to do with those three? Could it be a couple linebackers? Do they, I guess they need two starting linebackers. Well, um, I, I would take – if I were them, I know or, that they were, they were flirting with the idea of bringing in another offensive tackle because there's guys that are going to enter the transfer portal and leave, and so you always need to have the right numbers at offensive line. Um but I think linebacker, without a doubt, you, you, if, you could, if you could get a natural linebacker, experienced linebacker to buy you time, um, especially weak side linebacker, then I think that's great. Because then you won't have a situation where you're depending on Avery Huff or Sam Brooks Jr. or one of these young guys to all of a sudden emerge and play really, really well right? You, you're almost expecting that or needing that to happen. So getting a, a experienced linebacker would be great. But I think the priority is cornerback because of scholarship numbers. Again, you, you may end up having to move out blades to safety. I think he's not fast enough necessarily to play that position consistently well at cornerback. He's a, probably a better safety. And I think certainly, you know, as good as to Corey Couch has played at times, 
I still think if you can get a junior, you know, somebody who's a junior or a senior to transfer in, a guy that's played and has starting experience, you take that. I mean, there's that's the thing with this team. Manny Diaz, he said, this is going to be year three, and he still has positions when you look at this team and say a transfer would help. And the, and when you have to say those things, it's because you dropped the ball recruiting. Right. And that shouldn't be the case on defense because that's been Manny's and, defense. And it, right, and it's multiple positions because we could say that about corner. You say that about linebacker, and we talked about, to me, you were blaming the running backs. I still say the offensive line doesn't get enough push. They were improved from last Offensive nice. guards, yes. I don't think the offensive guards are very good. I think the tackles were better, but the offensive guards are, are still a work in progress. Yeah, they didn't get a push in the running game, and they and the offensive guards got annihilated. What was the game? Uh, was it? Uh, Virginia Tech. Geez. Yeah, annihilated them in, in that regard. I mean, uh, just to close up on recruiting Manny, so Tim Burns, uh, decommitted from Miami, ended up at UAB. I'm assuming that's kind of like a Savion Collins. They moved on from him. He... Yeah, I, I think there were multiple kids, and that's going to happen. You know, that's happened for years where schools have dumped kids, and, and what they do is they call the kid's coach and they say, listen, uh, we're going to move on, have the kid decommit from us so that it doesn't make him look bad. You know, maybe it helps It helps with other schools to see that. Uh, by the way, that was a great catch, Walter. You might be able to play receiver at Miami. You actually hold on to the, to the mic. Hey. Let me tell you, that was pretty much like you say, drop the mic. I pretty much almost dropped the mic except for my soft hands. But, uh, yes, thank you. Uh, anyway, I think uh, – and then and that was kind of the guys they didn't get. James Marshall, we talked about him. Jason Marshall, He yeah. could have probably – Jason Marshall, sorry. So, um, there, I murdered a name there. But uh, Jason could have probably come in here and maybe started right away. Yep, if, if absolutely. As, as they say, you had written about Markevious Brown, IMG. They don't seem to have a good connection – with IMG kids either, just like St. Thomas Aquinas. He signed with Ole Miss. Um, Isaiah Johnson, California kid committed to Arizona State. I don't know how serious that was. Um, and then and then Corey Collier went to Gator. They lost a lot of guys to the Gators. Hardly anybody to Florida State, which I guess they're being helped by the, you know, the misery that uh, is going on in Tallahassee right now. But, you know, overall, um, you know, and, and what do you think of what I said about Malik Curtis? It seems like he could be a receiver if they had corners. That that's really his and a kick returner. What do you think? Yeah, I had a conversation with Charles Fishbein, who you know obviously talks to a lot of these college coaches and you know scouts the kids himself. And he says he's very very thin. I think he's five eleven, one hundred and sixty pounds, very much like right. Travis Benjamin. Um, and and having that slight build might actually be better suited for cornerback because he has elite speed. He can get back in coverage, and that's really what they're lacking. They're, they're, they're lacking the elite cover corner who can have the speed to match up with the other team's best receiver. That's what they lack because they have the size with Ivy and Blades. Both of those guys have long arms. They're big-bodied cornerbacks. They just don't have the speed and I think the natural instincts to cover the best receivers in the country, and that's – with the way offenses are nowadays, you need at least two cover corners so that you can play press man coverage, and allow your, your defensive lineman to create pressure in the background in, in the backfield. And if you don't have those elite cover corners, you end up getting beat like you did against NC State, where you saw really good receivers run right past them and, and, and catch passes down the field. Same thing, you know, at times with Clemson, right? Where where the elite kids were 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 getting down the field and dropping open touchdown passes. So um, I think that's the issue for Miami. Yeah, at safety, everybody knows they got two great ones in, in Kitchens and, and Williams. Curtis is the only corner. That's a that's a problem there. I think the linebackers are 
pretty pedestrian, at least according to their rankings. Tyler Johnson and and Deshaun Troutman and Chase Smith as a striker. Yeah, Tyler Johnson will probably be more like an edge rusher. Um, I think, you know, the other kids, again, none of them are, 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 are elite top-end kids. They're kids that are kind of being brought in to be specialized. I think a lot of them end up playing striker or outside. You know, none of them are dominating. I mean, Troutman is the kid that they're most excited about in terms of the, a natural linebacker. He could play middle. He could play weak side. He could be kind of like a Michael Pickney type player. Um, I think that's the guy that they're most excited about among the linebackers. Johnson is, again, he's more of an edge rusher, striker type guy. And a Jabari Ishmael defensive end, that, his physique, 6'6", 210, that's kind of got Greg Rousseau written all over it, no? Yeah, I just, again, but you don't know what kind of motor the kid has. And his father has worked for UM as, as a trainer for many, many years. So obviously he's been exposed to some some good players over the years in college football. So We'll see. But again, I think the positions you'll see the freshman play will be receiver and certainly in the, in the kick return, punt return game. Uh, you know, I don't think Xavier Restrepo or any of the other guys that they were kind of auditioning at that spot this year and kick return and punt return really panned out. So I think you'll see um, some of the guys that they recruited um, have an opportunity to play on special teams as return men. Um, the kid, um, Elijah Royal, the tight end from Texas, I saw some of his tape looked pretty good. And depend, it, we, we have to wait and see what Brevin Jordan and Will Mallory do if they stick around. If they both leave. Um, I think Brevin you know, would be, be the only one to go. Brevin's projected as the second or third tight end taken. So I would think Brevin will go. I think Will Mallory comes back. Will but, Mallory comes back and they have Larry Hodges, uh, the master of the memory, the kid's name is, and Elijah Arroyo. Um, <laughs> I guess my last question, <laughs> yeah, I butchered that name on purpose. Um Manny, my, la my last question is a biggie. Jake Garcia or the Van Dyke kid, who do you think ultimately is going to be the guy, or do, you, do we know enough at this point? We don't know enough. I'll say this. Van Dyke has a lot of natural abilities. He's got a strong arm, but he didn't get, he didn't get ahead. Like He came in for spring football and had four practices. Um, there were games he missed because he was on the unavailability list. Um so I don't know how much work the kid actually got done. I, I, I can't answer that. I wasn't at practice. I didn't get a chance to see him. Obviously, this isn't a very complicated offense to run. It's not, you know, something uh, as complicated as, as what Dan Enos was running. So maybe that gives him an upper a leg up in the competition because he's been at Miami at least for a year, at least experienced what college life is going to be like. But I think there's no question Jake Garcia has played much better competition playing in California and then playing in Georgia, which are two of the best states for high school football. Tyler Van Dyke played in Connecticut, and he played for a prep school where, yes, it's produced players. He played at the same prep school that produced, you know, former Dolphins first-round pick Christian Wilkins. Um, but it's not the same level of, of football. And so I think you got to give Jake Garcia a chance if De'Ara King leaves to win the starting job. All that said, I, I would not want to be Manny Diaz starting either a redshirt freshman or true freshman against Alabama game one. So um, it's going to be Derek King. It's going to be Eric King. He is going to have the deal from Cadillac, uh, Williamson Cadillac and then uh, and Garcia <laughs> and, uh, and Van Dyke will be the following year. Um, <clears throat> great story, by the way, if anybody out there listening, they probably have already uh, read your story on Garcia. I read the whole thing. It was, I think you told me it was 3,000 words, but it didn't read 
like it was that long. Certainly wasn't as long as this podcast has been tomorrow, but it was a great story. Talked to father, talked to a bunch of people. <laughs> no, that was really good. It really was. I, I recommend people reading that. But um, what do you think tools wise, Garcia, do, you know, Van Dyke, just from seeing him throw? Can we it's hard to tell on highlights. Well, you went out to Connecticut to see Van Dyke, though. Yeah, I, but he wasn't he wasn't playing at the time. The season was over. It was December. It was the middle of like basketball season. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I like Van Dyke's arm strength. I saw him at the paradise camp two years ago that Miami had, because obviously last, this past year's was, was canceled because of COVID, but I saw him throw and I thought the arm strength was exceptional. Um, in the four snaps that he had against North Carolina or the three snaps that he had against North Carolina, he looked like a guy who had never played college football before, which is what he was. <laughs> and so that gives me pause as to, you know, what he really gathered from this year, right? What did he really get out of it? it? It's It was hard for the entire freshman class in 2020 to get much out of this season because of COVID and, and all the limitations with practice and all the other bull crap that they had to deal with. So I think, yes, he will have a slight leg up on Jake Garcia, but it's not like a typical year where this dude has been learning this offense for a year He's had a chance to play in games, and he's and he's shown you something. Uh, I think Jake Garcia comes in, and and I was impressed by a lot of the throws Jake made in the semi the state semifinal game that he just played in last week. I watched it, and I thought, man, this guy he's got the one thing his quarterback coach, his private quarterbacks coach Danny Hernandez told me was he's got a lot of the natural throwing abilities that you want, and there's not a lot that you have to teach him. And Jake is a guy who I think when you watch him throw the football, it looks natural. It feels natural. He looks like a natural quarterback. And that's that's encouraging because I watched Tate Martell throw a football and it did not look natural. At all, so. <laughs> no, it did not. <laughs> I mean, also with the name Garcia in Miami, I mean, you got to love if he if he ends up being a uh, uh, Hispanic, at least a Hispanic surname. I'm not sure if the family is Mexican, Mexican roots. Uh, right. That would be uh, right. I mean, not since uh, probably Joe Myra, uh, George Myra, George Myra, excuse me, back in the what early 60s, I think, mm -hmm. as Miami had a quarterback that's uh, Hispanic, correct? Yeah, I, I don't think Mike Rodriguez was a, was a Hispanic quarterback, was he? I'm trying to think. I, certainly Mark Richt was not a Hispanic quarterback. I'm trying to go down the list of guys. Uh, Bernie Kosar, Vinny Testaverde, no, none of those guys were Hispanic. So, um. <laughs> I mean, the natural for Garcia to be uh, great here, but I like the Van Dyke kid. I, I don't care if he's a guy who has a Dutch name or a Hispanic name, as long as uh, – he leads the Hurricanes back to glory, and we won't have to be kvetching over how many guys on the all-ACC team anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I, not that I was. I just – I thought, you know, the team was announced, and it was a good good sort of debate about, you know, how good or some of these guys are and how many of them maybe have been – would have been slighted. I, to me, the two biggest ones were Headley and uh, and Phillips. But, just beat Oklahoma State because I think they're going to be – they're a three-point underdog, and justifiably so – uh, that would be a good win. I mean, it probably is their best win of the year if they were to get it, because otherwise it's what, NC State? Yeah, um, NC State is ranked. That's their best win. And then after that, you could say it's Virginia or Virginia Tech, who 500 football teams. So right. we'll see. So, so, yeah. 
All right, Navarro, I think this is uh, the end of the road here. Thank uh, you, Walter, for uh, participating. I will be sending this audio to my producer here, Mike Zimmerman, in the closing seconds. Uh, I will be, we'll do another podcast, uh, or I'll be doing another podcast at the very least, after the bowl game on the 29th. Uh, and then after that, I think we'll probably be a little bit more sporadic because we're going to be going into the offseason and I'll be covering more Miami Heat uh, basketball games and so forth. But uh, let's see what happens. I, I, as far as the game's concerned for Oklahoma State, who do you got? Do you think Miami wins? By the way, erase that part where I disagree with Kelvin Harris. I mean, I don't want, the, I don't want him uh, coming after me. <laughs> <laughs> I respect he's gonna hunt much. you down man um what do you think happens in the bowl game you got miami winning or losing what's your prediction i'm after that last game i'm traumatized i have oklahoma state uh winning i'm usually miss positivity uh so maybe this will work i have i have oklahoma state winning and maybe i'll be proven wrong the other way but uh the last the recency bias last thing i saw was miami getting absolutely embarrassed so yeah. i they should be the more motivated team. Uh, Oklahoma State's coming over, coming off an easy win over Baylor. I'm not sure how good Baylor is. Um, so they, they've got a lot to, to prove to themselves, to the fans, to everybody. Yeah, I think it's a pretty even game. Uh, I don't think they have anything special at quarterback. Uh, it, I think this is a meaningful game for two people, De'Aaron King and Brevin Jordan. And I think they'll show up and score a lot of points. And Miami will win this game like, 41 to 38 and we'll be we'll be entertained on the 29th wow we flipped uh, the script i'm usually the the pessimist it, by the way it's also a big game for uh for harvey and cam williams the defensive end they got a lot to prove sure i'm sure they do i uh i will reserve judgment for what happened when the real test comes along I all right well I, I appreciate it man all right we out 305 954 568 this is the state of miami Y'all know y'all come down that way.